I must admit, I've been a little haunted this whole week by what Edwin said last Sunday night. When he said, today you would hear a real preacher. I'm not sure what he meant by that. I do appreciate the opportunity this morning to stand before you to, to preach. What I'm preaching on is from God's Word, and if that makes one a preacher, then so be it. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for your being here today. Would please turn in the book of Genesis back to chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to begin our lesson there. When you hear the word worship, what comes to your mind? Perhaps you think about what we're doing here this morning, going through certain acts of worship, singing, praying, studying God's Word. Or maybe you think about a, a certain place. Maybe a place you have at home that you go to when you want to uh, get some quiet and contemplate and think about spiritual things. Perhaps you think about a certain attitude of, of yourself bowing down before your Creator. And now think about another word, a word that we use sometimes when we speak about relationships, that being the word intimacy. When you hear that word, what comes to your mind? Perhaps a close personal relationship that maybe you have with your spouse or the relationship that exists between parents and their children, a very close relationship. In Genesis, the second chapter, we see, I think, both of these things together. We see that God has just created the universe. And He created a very specific part of His creation was man. Who He created and placed in the garden. And we're told several times in Genesis chapter 2, we have uh, several things told to us that help us understand the close, intimate relationship that God had with His creation, man. It says in verse 24 that after creating Eve for the man, that therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. As originally created man and woman in this state, of being unashamed, we see that they have this relationship with God and that there are no barriers between them and God. Just that they are naked before God. There's no separation whatsoever. But we know that things don't stay like that. Down in chapter 3 and verse 7 and 8, after Adam and Eve have violated God's commands, that the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So we begin to see immediately after sin enters the picture that now there are barriers coming up between God's creation and Himself. And they put on clothes that they've made. 
And he and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I think this also implies the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve, that this was not an uncommon occurrence. That there was this daily fellowship and relationship with God as He walked with them through the garden. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Again, we see the separation because of the sin. That they're hiding from God. They put coverings on themselves and they're trying to hide from the presence of God that they used to enjoy in full. And this is the same way that the situation is coming all the way down through history. We live in a fallen world. We do not live in that world that God created there in the garden. And we live in a, a sense of being separated from God at this point in history. But when we talk about worship, I think one thing about worship is that we see that God does not want this separation to continue. That God calls us to have a close, intimate relationship with Him. Turn over now to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. We may be living in a fallen world and we may be separated from God because of sin, but God does not want that. That's not what He intended and that's not what He desires. He calls us by glory and virtue and worship of God. is one means by which God has chosen to close the gap that exists so that there can again be an intimate relationship between God and His creation. And I want us to look at this uh, for a few minutes this morning. Talking about intimacy with God through worship of God our Savior. I'm not a real comfortable using PowerPoint, as you'll probably see this morning. I've used it several times in the past, and I believe almost every time there was a glitch. So, just be ready for something to come up this morning. Let's look, first of all, at God's plan for relationship. Because God wants there to be a relationship. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35, when uh, Jesus was answering uh, some of His uh, accusers and those who were trying to trip Him up and get Him to contradict Himself and so forth, in Matthew chapter 22, someone comes to him with, with a, a question. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together in verse 34, Matthew chapter 22. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we see right here that Jesus said, in, in quoting from the old law, that you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And if we love someone, that obviously means that we have to have a relationship with that person, doesn't it? And we see that there is this uh, vertical relation with God. He says to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That we love God. And this is a relation between man on earth and God up in heaven. But there's also a relationship that Jesus mentions that we love our fellow man. And this is a horizontal relation between those of us here on earth. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because on these two commandments, saying all the law and the prophets, whatever law you want to refer to in the Old Testament, somehow it relates to either loving God or loving man. And these are relationship issues. Loving God and having a relationship with Him and loving our fellow man and having a relationship with Him. Because God is a relational being. When we speak about the Godhood or the Godhead, and we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we sing about this morning, we see that there is a perfect relationship between the three in the Godhead. Perfect love, perfect union, perfect coordination and planning in the plan of salvation for man. God is a relational being. There is a relationship between the three members of the Godhead. And man, likewise, is a relational being. Back in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, remember that after God had created Adam and put him in the garden, and he had brought all the animals to him so that he could give them names, it says, in, in uh, first of all, in uh, Genesis 1 and 26, when God first creates man, He says, let us make man in our image. We are made in the image of God. If God is a relational being, so are we. We are made in the image of God. Chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Everything that God had made was good. But the one thing that was not good, God said, was that man was alone. And I will make him a helper comparable to Him. But because of sin, we have separation from God, as we read about in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. When Adam and Eve were trying to cover themselves, their nakedness by sewing together fig leaves when they were hiding in the garden, what were they really trying to do? What they were doing was acknowledging the fact that when they sinned, they realized they had violated God's commandments. We do a lot of things similarly to try to cover the real situation. Sometimes we try to hide the fact of who we really are to other people and sometimes even to God, don't we? Sometimes we, we've heard the song... You know, put on a happy face. Because even if we don't feel that way inside, we've got to show that to everyone. Or sometimes we, especially after the first of the year, don't we get into the physically fit mode? You know, I need to shed a couple of pounds. 
put on between November and December. I don't want anyone to know what I'm really like. Sometimes we'll get involved in materialism. You know, if I have a lot of nice clothes, or if I live in a really nice house or drive a really nice car, people really won't know who I am inside. They'll see these things, these external things, and I can hide myself. I can hide my true self from other people. Or perhaps it's a prestigious career. We want people to see that in us. And we do all sorts of things, just like Adam and Eve, to try to cover up who we really are on the inside. But we can't hide from God, just as Adam and Eve couldn't hide from God. And God has a plan for this relationship to be restored. God wants intimacy with us. God wants nothing to separate His church from Him. In fact, there's a, a frequent analogy given in the New Testament about the church in Christ, that the church is the bride of Christ, that Jesus is the husband to the church. And there needs to be that type of intimacy. When someone has not been a Christian but becomes a Christian through obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've said before and we all, I'm sure, agree that is really just the beginning, is it not, of the life of a Christian. And what you're beginning and what we begin when we obey the gospel is we begin this relationship and we start a process of uncovering who we tried to say we really were. Some of the things that we've done, some of the things we know about ourselves that we're not very proud of, things that we're ashamed of, we come to the realization through Jesus Christ that I don't need to be ashamed of those things. And God has given us a way to draw closer to Him. And worship is one of those ways. Worship involves a relationship between God and man. A man named Brad Watson wrote regarding worship that worship is connecting with God. Worship is communing with God. Worship is talking with God. Worship is hearing from God. Worship is adoring God. Worship is receiving from God. Worship is being charged with the life of God. Think of those things. Connecting, communing, talking, hearing, adoring, receiving. All of these things are relational. They are between us and God. And we worship for two reasons, I think. We worship because we want to know God. But we don't worship just to know that there is a God and to know what God is. We worship to really know God. And that God can know us. And as I mentioned, this is similar to the marriage relationship between a husband and wife. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul discusses this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, beginning with when he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So in giving this analogy of marriage between a husband and wife, where there's this, this submission, this willing submission by the wife to her husband, and there's this overwhelming love of the husband for his wife, Paul says, this is all true, but I'm primarily speaking here about Christ and the church. That this is the relationship that exists between Jesus and His church. Now, if we think about the marriage relationship, how much intimacy is there when we are separated by perhaps miles in, in space? Not a lot. But how much intimacy is there just because of close proximity? Well, there may be and there may not be. If you have a husband and wife living under the same roof, who are two totally different people who have two totally different goals in life, and there's no intimacy there at all. So just because we're coming to church does not necessarily mean that we're enjoying a relationship with God that He would like us to have. Because sometimes we get confused between having a relationship with God and just going through religious motions. God wants us to be one with Him. In John 17, verse 20 through 23, He prays that we be one in Him as He and the Father are one, that we all be one. And we can know God through the Scriptures over in John chapter 5 when, uh, again, Jesus was... Uh, in a situation where he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, speaking to them, the religious leaders of the Jews, he said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. And what Jesus is pointing out is the difference between these Jewish religious leaders and saying, you know, you search the Scriptures and you think in them you have eternal life and they testify of me, but you're rejecting me. You're very religious people, but you don't know anything about me. You have no relationship with God and therefore you don't know me. You do not have the love of God in you, he says in verse 42. Therefore, they did not have a relationship with God. And then they did not know Him. And we've got to be careful about that. That just because we go through some sort of form of religious activity as we're doing here this morning, assume just because we go through a, a period of worship that we have a relationship with God. The Pharisees knew the Scriptures. They knew the right things to say. They knew the right form of worship. But they did not know God. 
We've got to be so careful about that. And sometimes we put up walls of protection. We try to protect ourselves. Sometimes people come into the body of Christ. We don't know what kind of background they've had. kind of life they've had. Maybe abusive. And there's a lot of barriers of walls of protection that have to be overcome just to have a relationship with other Christians, let alone with God. But sometimes someone may say, well, you know, Steve, I come to worship. And I don't really get anything out of it. How do we answer that? Or someone who may say, well, you know, I can have a close personal relationship with God and I don't have to be part of a corporate worship environment. Or I come to church frequently, three times a week, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm a part of that assembly. I feel like I might as well be outside looking through the window. There are some things that hinder us experiencing God's presence in our worship. And I want to look at a few of these quickly. One is simply sin. We need to examine ourselves. In in Psalm 66 and verse 18, David said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And, And Isaiah 59, too, is very similar to that when Isaiah said, Your iniquities have separated you from God. We need to examine ourselves and look at our own life. Is there some sort of willful, rebellious sin that I'm engaging in in my life? Because if I am, I can't expect to have an intimate relationship with God. And the answer to that, of course, is to repent of those sins, to have a a heart that wants to come back to God. But another problem sometimes that hinders our worship is simply pride, isn't it? Sometimes... We think a lot about ourselves. And there can be two aspects to that. There could be where we think we're really great, and sometimes people have the totally opposite view. You know, I'm just nothing. I'm just a doormat. Or, the other hand, I'm great. I'm really good. And the common denominator there is the word I. I am this. I am that. You know what? We've got to put ourselves out of the picture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, we're taught there to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. James 4, 6 and verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up or He will exalt you. If we cannot come to the point where we acknowledge and admit our own sins and we're, we're puffed up with pride, then we can't have the relationship with God that He wants. We're also taught in the Bible that an unforgiving attitude can separate us from God. Our forgiveness is contingent upon our forgiving others. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus prayed there in teaching us how to pray. He said, as we pray to God, we should pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have to have an attitude of forgiveness. Or sometimes we have a just a Pharisaic spirit or attitude where we come to church because we want to impress others or we want to show others that we're real religious. Jesus taught against that over and over again with the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 11, he talks about the fact that the Pharisees were, were real good at cleaning the outside of the cups and the dishes, but they wouldn't clean the inside. Externally, they looked really good 
but internally they didn't. And we also have to be careful about fearing men. Proverbs 9 and 10 says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. These things, and and I'm sure many others could be listed, that hinder us from worshiping God, from drawing close to God in, in a relationship where we can feel like we're calling upon Him as our Father, drawing closer and closer to Him. Well, if those are the negatives, what are the positives? How can we come to the Father? Well, first of all, Jesus taught in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that true worshipers that God seeks come to Him in spirit and in truth. Over in John chapter 4 and verse 24, as He's speaking to the woman at the well, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit simply means referring to our attitude as we worship. It's real easy to get in a habit, isn't it? The habit of coming to worship is a great habit. But sometimes because of that habit, we can tend to not necessarily have our minds engaged as we worship God. We're just going through the motions as we say. But we have to have our heart in our worship. And we have to worship in truth, truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, Jesus said that He would send the Spirit of truth. And he would, the Spirit, and He would guide them into all truth. John 16 and verse 13. We have to worship God in spirit, but also in truth according to His Word. But also we have to have love. What we read earlier, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, that Jesus quoted, we have to... Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We have to come to God in humility. There's an example given by Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, where He talks about a Pharisee and a sinner who had come to worship God. Luke chapter 18. He said, two men, in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but be his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In our way of thinking, we might have thought otherwise. We may have thought that this Pharisee is the one who should be just before God because he didn't do all these bad things, did he? And this man, this tax collector, well, being a tax collector is just enough, isn't it? There's no way he could be justified before God. He even admits he's a sinner. Why is he even there worshiping God in the first place? But Jesus tells us that's not the perspective we ought to have. The perspective we ought to have is that someone who exalts himself, tries to talk about all the good they've done, thinking very highly of themselves, 
God will make him a base, verse 14, but the one who is humble will be exalted. We've got to come to God in humility. Remember Saul and David in the Old Testament? They both sinned, didn't they? Saul sinned by offering sacrifices he wasn't authorized to offer. When Samuel didn't come at the time he thought he would come. And when Samuel called him on it, Saul responded by saying, well, I was afraid that people would leave and I had to do this. But David, when he sinned in having Uriah killed, committing adultery, lying, and everything that he did when he was called on it, what did he do? He admitted he had sinned. And he repented of it. That's the difference. That's what humility is. That's why David is a man after God's own heart. And Saul had the kingdom taken away from him. We've got to come to the Father in spirit and truth and love, humility, but also in brokenness and openness. By brokenness, I simply mean we've got to come realizing that whatever situation I'm in, I alone cannot fix it. When I sin, I am a broken human being. And there is no amount of good that I could ever do that would fix my situation. But we've got to come in openness. Adam and Eve, did they do that? No, they tried to hide. Did Saul try to do that? No, he tried to make excuses. It's everybody's fault but mine. But what about openness? We see Jesus on the cross as He was crucified with His arms stretched out. We see people hurling insults at Him placing this crown of thorns on him, his clothing stripped away. We see that one is totally unprotected. From whatever men could do to him, they did to him. There was no barriers between Jesus and his attackers. And I think the message from the cross that we see is Jesus, in essence, saying, I am open to you. You can come in and you can hurt me. You can throw abuse at me. You can sin. You can tell lies. You can commit adultery. You can violate the laws that I've laid down. But I am still open to you. And I will allow you to come into me and I will love you. But what Jesus is asking us to do is to open up to Him. Would we be like David and admit our sins? Would we become vulnerable to Jesus? And then finally in Psalm 100, we see that we've got to come to the Father with thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is a good psalm that indicates and, and, and talks to us about the worship of God. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him, and bless His name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures 
to all generations. So we come to the Father to experience Him, to draw closer to Him. And in His presence, whether we're talking about public corporate worship as we're engaging in this morning, or whether we're talking about our own private worship of God that that we engage in when we're alone. When we come into the presence of God, we are changed. There is no way we can come before God and enter His presence without being changed. We see that in the Old Testament when Moses went upon the mountain to receive the law from God. When he came down, do you remember what happened to him physically? His face glowed, was white, so much so that the people were afraid. When we come to worship God, we cannot leave unchanged if we really come in the presence of God. If we walk out the doors this morning just like we walked in, then we didn't meet God. When we come to the presence of God, we're healed. When Jesus, as He was in His earthly ministry, would eat, many times He would eat His meals with people the Pharisees described as tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And Jesus' response on one occasion was, well, you know, those that are well do not need a doctor. I came to heal. And when we meet God in worship, we are healed as we submit ourselves to His Word and His will. And we are cleansed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of our sins. If we've committed a sin and we come to worship God, if the very fact that we know we're going to meet God in worship does not cause us to pause and repent and turn of that sin before we engage in the worship. Certainly, the experience of God in worship would cause us to pause and to repent and turn from those sins. So we ought to leave His presence cleansed. And in His presence, we're changed. We're changed from the love of God. God loves us. The church loves us. And when we realize that we're loved, and like Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The two greatest commandments, to love God and to love man, are experienced through the worship of God. And what we have is a real Relationship. A real relationship. We have lots of relationships. I'm sure you do, just like I do. I have a relationship in my family. I have a relationship where I work with all the people I work with. I have a relationship with Cub Scouts and baseball and all those sorts of things. A relationship with my church family here, which I'm so thankful for. And if I want a real relationship, for instance, in my home, 
with my wife that I've got to be close to her. And sometimes as life gets busy and, and other things seem to take precedence, sometimes we have to pause and we need to get even those relationships the way they ought to be. But I can't live in a real relationship if I'm way over here and they're way over there. That real relationship, whether we're talking in any of these facets of our lives, you know, we've got to live close to one another. And this is what God wants. God wants to be able to come up to me or to you and to wrap His arms around us in an embrace that says, I love you. The way He wanted it from the beginning, before sin entered the picture. That's the way I'm convinced Adam and Eve experienced God intimately in the garden. And as time goes by, as we grow in our Christianity, in our relationship with the Father, when storms of life come, we run to the shelter of God's presence. And we'll be able to become so comfortable with God in that relationship that we'll be able to come before Him unashamed without putting on layers of covenants. And I'll come to realize, and you can come to realize, that God is not going to be offended by my hair turning gray, which it is. He's not going to be offended by your waist size, your wrinkles, your pimples or your stretch marks or whatever else we think make us unattractive. God's not offended by that. God wants to love us. He wants to embrace us. And worshiping God, becoming intimate with God, is one of those ways that He's given us to do so. Would you bow with me this morning? Lord, we do want to know You. Father, we want to know You like this. We want... Father, to have a full embrace of Your love and Your comfort. Father, we don't want to hold anything back from You. We want to give You our all. Help us, Father, to overcome the fears that we have in opening up to You and opening up to our brethren. Help us, Father, to grow in You, and as we grow, to be able to take off those layers and layers of barriers and the protections that we have put up, so we can come openly and honestly and purely before You. To know You intimately, Father, and no longer be ashamed of who we are. Father, may we approach You in spirit and in truth and be changed in our worshiping You. May we be healed, Father, of our sins through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior.
And through Him we ask this prayer. Amen. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus extends His invitation. For He says, Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're going to stand and sing a song in just a minute. And the purpose of this song is to make it, in our standing, is to make it easier for you. If you would like to come forward and confess your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you need prayers of the brethren here on your behalf, that you could do so at that time. If you're subject to the invitation of the Lord, won't you come right now while we stand and sing?